Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Cooperstown. That's the nothing personal word of the day for January 24th, 2024. Yesterday, I do not want to have to do that too many more times where I'm watching something live and doing the live show. Welcome to the live. Nothing personal. What a day to get into the Hall of Fame. One of my favorite things to do is to talk to players about Hall of Fame because players say about the Hall of Fame what they say about winning an Academy Award, which is I don't think about it. Of course, they all think about it. And you come to a point in your career when you acknowledge the fact that you have absolutely no chance of being in the Hall of Fame. And it is the same sort of epiphany that you have when you're in middle management or you have when you see what your lot is and that's your lot. And no one is feeling sorry for anybody who plays professional baseball. But for anyone who does, you then only have about a 1% chance of making it to the Hall of Fame. And it's always interesting to hear what the best of the best think about when they realize they're not the best of the best of the best. So there's all these hours of pregame and you go on MLB Network yesterday. And the first thing we hear once it's time for the announcement is that there are going to be several additions to the Hall of Fame class. And there have been thoughts that there could be five people, six people, seven players. So I got into a discussion with myself, which are some of the best discussions. What number is several? One is one, two is a couple. What's few? To me, three is few, four is several. Can three be few and several? If it's a couple, you, it's a couple can't be a few. I think a couple is just a couple. So when he said a few, he said several. Strike that, Coca. I think he said several. So I was thinking, wow, there's going to be four guys. Starts with Adrian Beltre, 95% of the vote. A little down from when we thought he was going to be on every ballot but two. Then he gets into the player who's been on one team for all those years, Joe Maurer. Joe Maurer is in the Hall of Fame. Then we get third, and then he said the third and final entry for the 2023 class. So I'm thinking, well... It's not going to be Sheffield. He's done. Now it's between Wagner and Helton, and I'm going to get the wait to see right from yesterday that it's going to be Wagner. Beltre, Maurer, Wagner. And then he drops. This player was on the same team for 17 years, and I said, oh, crikeys. Wagner played for more than one team. It's got to be Helton. And so it was. So he goes through a list of the accomplishments. Beltre a first ballot, Maurer a first ballot. Helton leads the Rockies in every possible offensive category, including nose hair. And then there was a bit of a conversation in Spanish, which I loved, only about Beltre, which I understand. 
And then we got to the obligatory phone calls, interviews, where you've got Bob Costas and Harold Reynolds and Tom Verducci, and they're interviewing the players who are in the Hall of Fame and MLB Network. And I look at Adrian Beltre, and he's sitting there on the couch with his family. Love it. And then I'm looking in the background and I say to myself, that's Scott Boras. There's 30 people on the wide shot, but when they go to just the interview of Adrian and his family on the couch, there's only one person in the frame, Scott Boras. Can you imagine what a disingenuine piece of garbage it takes to make sure that you're in the frame? Do you know what it reminded me of? When you've got the mayor of a town when there's a hurricane company coming, and then you've got city commissioners or county commissioners who are fighting to be in the camera angle for the make sure you take shelter. Like it's important to make sure you get camera time. I was very pleased for Beltre and Maurer and Helton. I was very pleased that A-Rod declined. Do you know what his percentage was in his third year? Let me get it to you straight. Alex Rodriguez, the best player on the ballot for sure. 34.8%, you have to get to 75. Only in his third year. Can he get there? No. Chase Utley, 28.8% in his first year. He will eventually be a Hall of Famer. And I agree with that. So what you do is you look at where people are in their votes. You can never get below 5% because then you don't get another chance. So for all you Jose Reyes fans, sorry. Adrian Gonzalez, sorry, they're off the ballot, fine. But when you're up ballot a little bit, you look at the number of years because you get 10 possible votes. Gary Sheffield, so close at 63.9%. Everyone thought he'd maybe at 75 this year, a little feeling sorry because it's his final year on the ballot and we told you no and it was no. But then you've got a Billy Wagner. And I wanna talk about Billy Wagner because it's the same conversation I had with Andre Dawson after 09. When he did not get in in 09, he had one year left on the ballot. Billy Wagner did not get in in 24. He's got one year on the ballot. The way that it was trending is that Andre Dawson would make it in his final year, and he did, just as Billy Wagner will make it in his final year. The question, of course, I have is why? And I mentioned it yesterday, and I spent time last night. I started watching the Oscar-nominated documentaries that I haven't seen. I started watching one of them this morning. I was in the theater room at about 3.12 a.m. this morning. And I'm getting ready to watch a movie because I couldn't sleep and I wanted to start making sure I watched every movie for the great Metalark Oscar party that has not yet been approved, announced, or I've even been invited to. And all I was thinking about were these Hall of Fame voters and what changes? And I thought to myself, how do I make today's show slightly different? Whereas I said to you yesterday, I don't get what would change. Is there not room on the ballot? Is that your view that you take up all of your slots, but then next year you'll do Wagner because you wanna make sure he gets in in his 10th year, which means there are certain Hall of Fame voters, writers, members of the BBWAA. And they had planned to make sure that they vote for Billy Wagner next year so that he gets in. 
Meanwhile, Billy Wagner spends another year of his life, and he's still young enough, but another year of his life not being a Hall of Famer, not being able to capitalize on being a Hall of Famer, just like Andre Dawson had to. And I was wondering what would make it better? So my complaint about first ballot Hall of Famers and the fact that I don't believe that Joe Maurer should have been a first ballot Hall of Famer, I'm not even sure that Adrian Beltre should be a first ballot Hall of Famer because you know that I want Ichiro and players of that ilk to be first ballot Hall of Famers. It should be very, very exclusive, way more exclusive than just being in the Hall of Fame. But then I started thinking about my free agency dream of every player free agency after one year. And I have a new plan for the Hall of Fame. Instead of this 10-year sweat, everybody's on the ballot for one year. That's it. Some years you'll have 10 guys put in. Some years you'll have zero. Some years five, which is not unlike what it is today. It eliminates players from having to wait to their old 10 years of sweating and being nervous. It doesn't matter if you get 5% or 74%. Any mistakes or personal vendettas get cured by committees like the new era committees that meet every few years to let in players or people who have been mistakenly or incorrectly overlooked. Because then we don't have to think about whether or not voters are actually calculating what year they're going to vote for a particular player. If you think Billy Wagner is a Hall of Famer, you vote for him, period. You think Andre Dawson, vote for him, period. You don't think Gary Sheffield is, you don't vote for him, period. Why will that never happen? Because the Hall of Fame and MLB believe that it is the buildup, the tense buildup going into the final year. No, that's not a tense buildup. A tense buildup is what we know from on-field games. Win and you're in, lose and you go home. You wanna get more interest in the Hall of Fame? You wanna get more interest in the voting process? I don't want to diminish the tracker and the guy who's been doing it for what, 11 years and how exciting it is. If you make your Hall of Fame ballot public prior to the release, you lose your vote. I don't want to take away business, especially if it's sponsored from the people who do the tracking, but forget about it. It's like polling for election day. Hate it. Makes people not want to vote. Oh, my guy's up or he's down. Forget it. Not needed. My vote's not needed. I want tight ship, no loose lips. So that is my proposal to the writers and to the Hall of Fame and to owners of Major League Baseball one year on the ballot. Let's do it. Revisiting my way to see it was wrong. Maurer, Wagner, Beltre. Didn't get it. All right. Coca? You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson from the movie Half-Baked with Dave Chappelle. Half-Baked 2 coming out. There's a character named Samson. Go to davidsampsonpodcast.com. Feel free to ask a question. Get on Twitter, Twitter at David P. Samson and feel free to ask a question. DMs are open. I see 
many of them. I respond to as many as I can. And if your question makes me laugh or makes me smile or makes me think that other people would be interested, you never know. Hello, David. Good start. I'm one of your loyal followers in Milwaukee. That's another really good way to get your question asked. This place is crazy. Why did the Bucks fire their coach? And here's the kicker. And can you say hello to Christian Yelich? That's funny. So what I thought I would do at 8.12 in the morning, and then I realized Yelly's in California, so it's 5.12 in the morning, and there is a percentage of you listening at 5 in the morning. I appreciate that. Or 2 in the morning in Hawaii. I appreciate you guys too. But I will text Yelich, and I will say hello for you. I don't know what his response will be. I assume it'll be, hey. So I'm sitting around yesterday, thinking about the Academy Award nominations, thinking about Hall of Fame, thinking about today's show, doing my normal routine of what my day is, which is so routine that it would make any psychologist double their fee. And I get my text from Coco, and Coco texts me during the day, either there's something that he needs to go over or there's a story that he wants to talk about for the next day's show. And I always know in advance what it's gonna be because in the preview on my phone where you can have the favorites who text to you and you have sort of them on the top of your text chain and the picture I have of Coca used to be of him and his beard from during COVID and now it's some sort of animatar. And uh, when it's a tweet, I know that there's a newsworthy thing that happened. And what comes is a tweet that the Milwaukee Bucks have fired Adrian Griffin. And I was taken aback by that because the Bucks are 30 and 13. The Bucks have the second best record in the East. The Bucks traded for Damian Lillard. And you're halfway through a season where you're not underperforming. Analytics are saying that the way they're playing, they should have the same record as the Knicks. I don't give a flying rat's pituitary gland about that. They're 30 and 13. That's like saying the Marlins had a great one-run record, so they really aren't an above 500 team. Well, yeah, they were, and they made the playoffs. It certainly means that it may not happen next year, but we're not at next year. We're still in this year. So, of course, my first thought went to the Celtics. When a coach gets fired in that way, at this time, something happened. So I immediately went to divorce, affair, drugs, arrest. I went through my normal top five things that can get a coach of a good team fired in the middle of a contract. Of course, that list gets dwindled when he's in the first year of a four-year contract. They just hired the guy. Of course, it changes when I had said Adrian Griffin to the Bucks, Giannis has to have been involved. Of course, they went through pains to tell us, no, we did not involve Giannis in our coaching search. Giannis signs an extension when he had threatened, oh, if we don't show that we're going for a championship, if we don't show that we're trying, then I'm going to have to look at my options. Thank you, Giannis. But then he signs it, of course. So clearly, he was involved and wanted Adrian Griffin because the Bucks can't be so stupid as to hire a coach and then have Giannis read about it on Twitter. So I'm going through my list of things that are happening I call up Coke and I say, I cannot narrow it down and I wanna talk about it on the show. And then he and I had an epiphany at the same time. 
it was like a mutual epiphanasm. Mutiny in Milwaukee. And we started talking about what would have to happen for players to so badly want to fire a coach that they go to the owner, president, and they say, we are so unhappy, we want our coach fired now. And then for the team to actually do it. How big a mutiny would it have to be? In a league where player empowerment is the defining characteristic. The definition of the depth of the mutiny required to exercise such a showing of power is way lower than it should be. Now we're seeing pictures of Giannis drawing up plays in the huddle. We're seeing stories where the GM and AGM all of a sudden were attending practices and instead of being hidden in their offices, they were standing on the sidelines. All signs now point in the rearview mirror, hindsight's 2020, to a real problem with Adrian Griffin. You're 30 and 13. Ah, we could be 31 and 12. Is that what you think? The Bucks owners were thinking, didn't the Bucks get new owners? Didn't Jimmy and D Haslam buy into the Bucks? Am I making that up? I don't know why that is not forefront of my mind. And I certainly don't know why I didn't look at that before the show started. And if we weren't live, I'd just stop the show and look and then tell you. Luckily, I've got a huge staff of people working on nothing personal now because of its great success because of you. We are now up to two people. In April of 23, the Haslams bought a stake in the Milwaukee Bucks. That's just a few months ago. Jimmy Haslam, he of the Deshaun Watson signing, he of, I'm gonna consult my wife and daughter before I sign Deshaun Watson. I wonder when the knock comes on the door from Giannis and Dame and Chris and Lopez, and they say, hey, Jimmy Jim. In addition to liking a sub sandwich, I would like you to fire our coach right now. And Haslam says, well, I'm such a player's owner that you want it fired. I think it looks great for us. No problem, we'll do it. What an absolute bad look for my hometown team. So, five minutes later, in addition to believing there was a mutiny, we got more information. Some conflicting information, God bless CNN and all of its different subsidiaries, which is a great topic for me and Skipper and Pablo to talk about for Pablo Skipper 4869, which is a great topic for Pablo Skipper and I to talk about on a future episode. There's so many competing interests. We saw it a little bit with Kimmel and McAfee. So many companies own so many companies that you don't even know who your teammates are anymore. CNN with the report that Doc Rivers is hired. Chris Haynes with the report he's not hired. But yet, where there's smoke, there's certainly fire. Doc Rivers will be the next coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. Doc Rivers, Marquette guy. Doc Rivers loves Milwaukee. Doc Rivers keeps getting jobs. Doc Rivers has the one title. Doc Rivers must be liked, loved by the core four Milwaukee Bucks. Doc Rivers was available this offseason. Remember when he did the hostile takeover of Jeff Van Gundy's job and Mark Jackson's job that had absolutely nothing to do with what Adam Silver wanted? Give me a small break, would you please? 
Doc Rivers not coaching anyone now, totally available, all of a sudden says, you know what, TV being the number one analyst, eh, let me get back. I miss it. I miss the sideline. So the rumor is that Doc Rivers is going to be the no coach, new coach of the Bucks. What do you think? Is that going to be the difference? Think the four guys will be happy? I have a news flash for you, Jimmy Haslam. And for the president of the Bucks, you know who you are, and I know who you are. Once you let players make your decisions and do your job, there ain't no going back. Ever. You think that you bring in a, a coach like Doc Rivers and they won't run him out of town? You think that giving in to the whims of what players want on a particular day, you can make it just that particular day? It doesn't work that way. Be very careful how you run your team. And this is not meant to impugn Doc Rivers or to in any way say that Adrian Griffin was the right hire to begin with. What I will say is that when you hire someone and you give up on them that quickly, you're being a lot like Samson as president of the Marlins with players and managers. It's not really the smartest way to go, is it? <sighs> Nothing personal pick of the day. We had the Pelicans over the Jazz. Were you nervous? And then the Pelicans put up 153 burger. We are 14 and 11. Jazz are no longer the betting darlings, I told you. So we've got our pick tonight. How do you think the Bucks respond to the firing of Adrian Griffin? Just out of curiosity. Well, we're gonna learn a hell of a lot. Were Coca, Samson and Coca Law correct about mutiny on the bounty? Mutiny on Michigan, that's what it is. That's what we should call it. That's better alliteration. Mutiny on Michigan, as in Lake Michigan, get it? But if I said mutiny on Lake Michigan, it doesn't sound as crisp. If the Bucks come out tonight and lay an egg because the coaches have been fired, the coach fired, and then the players lay an egg because they're not happy, then it wasn't mutiny on Michigan. If the Bucks come out and kick the Cavs us. The owners get to say, oh, phew, that was the problem. And the players get to say, see, we told you, that was the problem. And I'm betting that it's the latter, not the former, that the players were completely involved, that it was a mutiny, a successful mutiny, and we are taking the Bucks six and a half over the Cavs. And I love this pick because I love the thought that we're right. All right, when we come back, we are going to give you some snubs and surprises. Want to talk about a little more ref scrutiny. The NFL assigned its referees. Did you see this before we go to break? Oh, no, Coke, he's going to yell at me. He's already yelling at me. All right, let's go to break. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Nothing Personal with David Sampson. I'm David Sampson. When we go to break, Coca likes me to just go to break. Don't sit there and talk for 90 seconds. Just say, we'll be right back.
Thank you for downloading and listening to our show and for making it the show it is today. Please go to sportspodcastgroup.com. You have another four days to vote for us as the best sports business podcast and the best baseball podcast. I was going to say Codpast. I'm not eating fish. Do you know I'm 24 days in, Coca, on a side note, to my new first New Year's resolution being successful, and I'm going to make it another week, no problem. I've been vegan the whole month. I've been hungry for a month. I've had a stomach ache, but I'm eating really healthy. Lost a bunch of weight. Made a cauliflower crusted pizza with fresh vegetables, and I put chickpeas and black beans on it and peanuts. So I had a crunch, and there's pizza sauce, which you get, and there's this squeezable cheese that is by a company I think called Miyoko. And so you can make your own vegan pizza. And then I added my own topping. So I had garlic and onion and jalapeno and peanuts and tomato and red peppers and artichoke hearts and this cheese. And of course, onion and scallion. It was so good. I can't imagine why it was a four Gaviscon night. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. Yesterday were the Academy Award nominations and I wanted to go through a couple of things. You may have read about this, you may not have. There is something that people are talking about and I wanna give you uh, just an example of where my head is on this. There is some misunderstanding that Greta Gerwig was not nominated for Best Director for Barbie and Margot Robbie was not nominated for Best Actress for Ro Barbie. I personally think that Margot Robbie should have been nominated for Best Actress, and I absolutely think Greta Gerwig should have been nominated for Best Director. Here's what I don't think. That the Academy misunderstood the point of Barbie because Ryan Gosling was nominated as Best Supporting Actor, and the two women were not. Of course, America, America Ferrara was nominated as Best Supporting Actress, but let's not let the truth get in the way of a good story. So all of these people are on Twitter saying, can you imagine the irony, the humor of people not even understanding the point of Barbie? The whole point is that Ryan Gosling would be the one to get nominated and not Gerwig and not Margot Robbie. The people who vote as part of the Academy did not give that one thought. It's a numbers game, that's it. And if you have an opportunity in the director's category to put in the director of a movie about a family growing up next to Auschwitz, you do it. When you've got Martin Scorsese, you do it. Chris Nolan's gonna win. There was just no spot. They satisfied their desire for gender equality. And believe me, that is a thought process by putting in the director of Anatomy of a Fall, Justine Theray, very deserving as well. But the correlation of, hey, you don't get the show, to, hey, we acted based on the fact that we don't get the show, and I don't mean acted like in a play, I mean acted as in choosing the nominees, that is a bridge way too far, way too far. The second thing I wanna mention about the nominations in the best documentary feature category, there are good documentaries. I will watch them all. I've watched most and I'll get them all watched prior to the Academy Award uh, on March 10th. But I really wanted to see the Michael J. Fox documentary in there. And the reason I wanted to see it is purely selfish about my best friend, Brett. I wanted Michael J. Fox and his story to get more attention for the sole reason 
that when you are nominated for an Oscar, it means money. And I wanted more money to go to the Michael J. Fox Foundation because I wanted a cure because I want him to be cured. I mean, Michael J. Fox, sure, but Brett Parker mostly. And everybody, as far as I'm concerned. Although I can't say that I want everybody to be cured because I don't know everybody, but that'd be nice. But if you gave me a choice to cure one person in the world of Parkinson's, I'd choose him. Does that make me a bad person? I don't think it does. I think we would all choose the people we love to be cured of what they have. I was quite disappointed it was not nominated. All right. No, I'm not mentioning I'm not. I see someone asking me that. No, I'm not mentioning Marty Scorsese not being nominated for screenplay. I'm not giving Adnan Verk the absolute pleasure of saying that in any way, I think Marty Scorsese should have been nominated in a place that he wasn't nominated. Martin Scorsese and his script should 100% have been nominated, but I'm not gonna say it. What do you all think of the NBA two-minute report? I know what LeBron James thinks. The NBA two-minute report where they go through the missed calls, things that happen, and you get the pool reporters, the pool referee, the one referee who speaks to one pool reporter. Do you know what a pool reporter is? That is when there are 10 people covering a game and I don't want to talk to all 10. I say, hey, find one representative. I'll speak to him. But the rule is you can't use it as a quote given just to you. You have to share it with everyone. You can all have the same quote. Very often, that's what people do. You speak to the pool, the member of the pool. The two-minute report is what the NBA does as they're trying to be transparent. Full measure of integrity. There was a game between the T-Wolves and the Hornets the other day. The NBA two-minute report came out, and wait for it, there were 10 incorrect calls. Six for the Hornets, three, six for the, that helped the Hornets out of the 10. Hornets came back and won that game. Three of them helped the Timberwolves. And then there was one foul that was given to an incorrect player. So I wanted to mention something about referees and the scrutiny in this two-minute report. I like the idea of accountability. The fact that we have to be careful of referees gambling. The fact that we have to be careful of referees who have personal vendettas against players or teams. The fact that the only people who should be controlling what the refs do are the, is the league, which is what the league does. Side note, are you aware, Coca, and I'm so sorry to tell you this, that the referee for the Chiefs-Ravens game is the best, most favorite referee for road teams? Do you think the NFL has any interest in the Chiefs going to Vegas over the Ravens? I can't imagine that they'd rather have Patrick Mahomes represent them with Kelsey and Swift versus Lamar Jackson. I obviously have that wrong. But boy, you think we're going to talk about that before the end of this week? You can bet your bippy. But the reason why I'd fit in to mention to you today is a little teaser for something coming later on this week, hopefully. I don't want to guarantee promise because who knows? There could be big news where I can't fit in a preview of the conference championships. But the reason why I'm bringing it up today is when we're talking about the scrutiny that refs are under with these two-minute reports, the mistakes they're making, and when do we get enough information that there are enough incorrect calls to warrant either the firing of a referee or the suspending of a referee for some sort of bias. As a president of a team, I would keep track 
Coca. We kept track of umpires and we'd only do it home plate. It didn't even occur to me to do it first base, second base, third base, and for bang, bang calls at first or bang, bang calls on a steal at second on a double play grounder. Only keep track of home plate umpires. Record against home plate umpires, record of individual pitchers against home plate umpires, record of batters against home plate umpires, called third strikes, swinging strikes or what they are, but called third strikes matter when you're a hitter. And what we were trying to figure out, whether we could assign any sort of equation so that we could predict what would happen when a certain home umpire would be umpiring at home. And I'm not talking about lack of ability. So you don't do it for Angel Hernandez and CB Buckner because they're just bad umpires. You're doing it to try to see if there is any way that you can ever have any iota of proof for when you call the league office and you are complaining or protesting something that you've got backup, that there's something real behind a call that happened and that it could have been both predicted and avoided. So in all of the times that we went through it, we were never able to establish enough of a correlation between any umpire and how they treated our team, whether it was on the home or, at, or on the road, and a particular player, enough that I felt I had enough behind me to actually argue it because I treated Joe Torre as though he were the judge and jury. What the leagues try to do when they evaluate the umpires or when they evaluate the referees is they are trying to figure out postseason assignments and they are trying to paper the files should they ever get a runway where they can excuse plagiarism for anti-Semitism and then fire a president. That is what you're doing with the two-minute reports. Of course, Coca had a funny line about two-minute reports that is true. If you miss 10 calls in two minutes or five calls, whatever happens in two minutes, how crappy was the whole game? Why do they only care about two minutes? Well, it's way too much work to do 48 minutes. You only do two minutes. It's funny because people say the last two minutes of the game, they're, they're almost helping that theory. It's the only two minutes that matter in the NBA. You can skip the whole game. Just watch the last two minutes. That's all you'll need. I wish we had been able to find correlations. Because as it stands, I still call Joe Torrey all the time to complain. And he'd always say the same thing. David, David, you know I can't uphold that protest. You know there's nothing I can do about that. But Joe, look, I've got the stats. I've got the numbers. I've got the analytics. As it stands, I couldn't say that. I like when coaches meet the media after they're eliminated. I like it either after a season, when their season ends, they've been eliminated. So really every coach meets the media after they've been eliminated, except for one, the Super Bowl winner or the NBA champion, the World Series winner. They get to meet the media after a win. Everybody else gets to meet it after being eliminated, even if it's after a win at the last game of a regular season when you're not making the playoffs. You're still eliminated from the only thing that matters, which is the Super Bowl. Oh no, we're so proud of our nine and eight season. <laughs> Give me a break, would you? Todd Bowles met the media. And I was watching the Lions-Bucks game this weekend, and I'm sorry that I didn't get to it yesterday, but talking about clock management, 
And I tweeted about clock management and it continues to make me angry because it is something that is so important to me as a person, as a being. Clock management is my life. It's what I do. It's what I need. It's what you need. I actually am willing to say that clock management is on the podium next to health. I think it's in a silver position. What's more important? Obviously, health is number one. That's gold. But clock management, time management, those are the same thing. I'm going to put that in the silver position of what I want and need in my life. And then I'm going to put connections slash love in the bronze position. Time management. I'm watching football games. I will never. Don't hire me as a coach of your team because I'm not burning a timeout in the third quarter because I want to save five yards. I don't care what the down and distance is. I don't care where we are on the field. Don't care. I want the seconds on the clock at the end of a game, especially a close game. Time management is everything. The end of that Bucks lions game was weird. For all of the compliments I give to Dan Campbell, and I do now, the Mia Culpas, his time management at the end of the game stunk. When you're trying to run clock off, you don't snap the ball with anything more than one second on the play clock when the clock is running. And the Lions kept running plays early. Don't know why, can't figure that out, makes no sense. I don't love a game ending and walking into the clubhouse with an unused timeout. Sort of like ending a baseball game with a challenge still in your pocket. We would tell our manager, anything that's close at the end, challenge it. You have it. You can't carry them over. It's not like vacation days used to be in the old days. Hey, you can carry over those vacation days. Companies got smart. Use them or lose them. That's exactly what challenges are. That's what timeouts are. You don't get four timeouts in the first half of the game next week because you didn't use it. You're three in the second half of today's game. For whatever reason, Todd Bowles did not use a timeout at the end of the game and force the Lions to kick a field goal to either go up 11 or give the ball back to the Bucks down eight. And he was asked about it. And he had the strangest quote. He said the game was over. They were in field goal range. We would have only had 12 seconds after using the timeout to come back. Then we'd have been down 11. So it's pointless. You kind of know when the game is over, the game was over. Well, in fact, there were 37 seconds left. It was a 47 yard field goal, or they maybe forced the Lions to punt if they don't want to go from the 47, which if they miss it, gives the ball back to them at the point of the kick, not even the line of scrimmage. Blocked field goals can be returned for a touchdown for crying out loud. Short field goals can be returned for a touchdown. Anything can happen. Games are over when you're down two scores and 37 seconds left. And a field goal would make it three scores. Are you falling into the trap I'm setting for you? Are you falling into it? Please do. Even then they're not over. Games are never over until there's no time on the clock. We're down nine runs, two outs in the ninth. Every time I was down nine with two outs in the ninth, I said to myself, all right, 
the tying run is at the end of the dugout. Let's just start with one. Come on, get on, get on. Two strikes, we still have a strike left. Yogi Berra was not wrong. It's not over till it's over. And if your coach comes out and acknowledges that he ended the game with the timeout in his pocket, didn't make the lines make a play when you always make your opponent make a play, and then actually said the game was over, it was pointless, that's a fireable offense to me. Is that really how you think of our game and our team? It's a playoff game. By the way, I think the same thing week seven. NBA trade deadline is February 8th. I love MLB's trade deadline. I used to love the deadline because you could just sit there and make a bunch of trades in your mind. You'd sit with your baseball people and I would spend a ton of time with them prior to the deadline. You have a board of all these possible trades. You're calling up presidents, GMs, you're calculating. Let's have this scout talk to that scout. No, no, this AGM to that AGM. Hey, I'm gonna call the owner or the president. NBA trade deadline is not till February 8th. We had a trade yesterday with the Miami Heat. And I wanted to mention it because I was fascinated by it. The Heat finally were able to get rid of Kyle Lowry, who they had been trying to trade forever. And they brought back that Charlotte Hornets player, Terry Rozier. Charlotte Hornets, the team that just got sold. Charlotte Hornets, the team that can't win, coached by Steve Clifford. The team that was just an absolute failure under Jordan continues to be a failure, but hey, turnarounds are possible as we've seen in all sports. So the Heat make this trade and it was reported that they are saving $15.4 million in luxury tax by making the trade. And I was thinking about why you make trades, how you make trades if you're the Heat. You look at your opponents, you look at yourself, not in that order, trying to figure out whether or not you are delusional about your team whether or not the evaluation you had of your team in the off season and to start the season was right or wrong, what the ages of the owner, the desire is of the owner, whether or not you're allowed to get into luxury tax territory or not. Then you match up with the team and see what they want. The Charlotte Hornets turned Terry Rozier and two years left into an expiring Kyle Lowry and a protected first round pick in 27, which just means if the Heat are in the lottery, they don't get that pick and it moves to 28. And if the Heat are in the lottery in 28, then the Hornets do get the lottery pick. But if the Heat have the 15th pick in 27, that first round pick goes to Charlotte. So basically they got a first round pick one of the years. The owner of the Hornets comes in and realizes that he has no choice but to trade veterans, get some flexibility, and try to figure out a way to change their entire franchise. Whereas the Heat are doing more than hanging on. The success of the Heat, notwithstanding retiring Haslam's number, notwithstanding the Dwayne Wade statue, notwithstanding LeBron James and his four years of amazing success, 2-2 in the finals. The fact is the Heat from Shaquille to LeBron, Wade, Butler, they have been, for me, the most successful NBA franchise over the longest period of this recent double decade. And they're making trades except Mickey Arison, the owner 
of the Miami Heat is very clear about the luxury tax. He doesn't like it unless he is convinced by Pat Riley that being in luxury tax territory is going to be paid back through postseason revenue and increased revenue the following season because of the success you're going to have in the current season. Very much a math equation for him. This trade is no exception because it's not as though he takes the 15.4 million savings in luxury tax and then pockets it. You end up spending the money next year on a player when there's a cap and a floor, you have to spend that money. But I wanna compliment the Heat for in one fell swoop, finding a trade partner for a player that I thought was untradeable and for having a plan. And we've talked during this show about plans. We've talked about how you execute them, who's got power and what the Heat have done, the example they've set, the jealousy that I've had toward them in our market, in the Miami market, and why there's such great genuflecting in his general direction is because it's earned. And with the trade they did yesterday, they continue their path to sustained greatness while keeping in mind the overriding, overarching, always important principle that it's just business. Good luck in Charlotte, Kyle. This is nothing personal. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite.